0: All right, family, um, I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis. We are, in October, we will be three years old as a church, um, which means don't expect much, um, but do expect us to make much of Jesus and to love each other, okay? So expect that. Uh, in today's world, that's a lot, actually, to expect, unfortunately, out of a church. So hopefully God will help us as we continue to grow in what that is and how to do that well. All right, um, We've been working our way through the book of John. Uh, We find ourselves in John chapter 13, so go ahead and turn there. Once you get to John 13, say, got it, just out loud when you get there. All right, a couple. All right. Don't quit. All right. Anybody else? John 13? All right. Good. There you go, strong. All right, as you're continuing maybe to find your place, hey, there we go, I like it. We're going to be looking at an eyewitness record of a man named John and his interactions with Jesus. That's what the book of John is. It's his his first-hand account of uh, his interactions with Jesus Christ. Okay, so here we are in John chapter 13, and we're going to be starting at the... uh, at the end of the chapter, on verse 33, to set some context. Um, so I'm going to jump into this. I want to pray first. All right, let's pray and ask God to help us. Lord, um, we're needy, and we have to have you work on our behalf to allow this to uh, work at the depths of our heart where it has to actually be to have it have any transforming power in our lives. So, Lord, would you cause this truth to go deep within our souls? Would you cause this word to resonate far beyond simple eardrums? Would would it go to our souls and change us from within, even as we're reading it? God, do this for us. We're very needy. We have to have you do this in us. Lord, would you be made famous in the hearts of these people, including my own this morning? Jesus, we love you, and we thank you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, many of you know that uh, this past uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, kind of a long weekend, I hung out in Huntsville, Alabama at a youth retreat, and uh, I am very sore. We went and uh, did a lot of tubing on the lake, and I suffered a concussion yesterday. Uh, I believe I've suffered three before. And it was very similar. And, um, and so anyway, I uh, got a little headache this morning. Uh, I was telling Jacob, uh, it's probably my fourth or fifth headache in my life. And uh, so anyway, I had a blast. And it's, it's, it's really fun when you get a concussion, you know. And um, so I'm, uh, I'm energized. I'm ready. Slightly tweaked up here a little bit. But I'm excited to be in the Word of God with you this morning, okay? If you're excited, say uh uh-huh. uh-huh. right, good. Let's go for this. All right. We're going to start in 13, verse 33. This is the night before Jesus Christ. This is the night before he's going to die. This is Thursday night. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified the next morning, okay? All right, here we go. This is God's word. Little children, he's looking at his disciples as he says this. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now i also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. We unpacked this a lot last week, but I'm just trying to set context. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my followers, my disciples, that you're connected to me. All right, what is this? If you have love for one another. Now, our passage for today Starting in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Simon Peter is one of his disciples, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. You'll lay down your life for me, and yet, this is Thursday night, by Friday morning when the sun comes up and the rooster crows, you will have already denied me three times. Now look at Christ's next words after putting Peter in his place, addressing the sin in his heart and his lack of commitment. Does he receive judgment? Does he receive condemnation? Does he he get beaten up? What does Jesus say? Let not your hearts be troubled. He's addressing Peter here with the disciples. I see two things going on with his encouragement here. One, he's trying to encourage Peter Right after he called him out on his commitment and his sin. But also, in the big picture, Jesus is about to leave, right? He's going to go to the cross and leave. He just unpacked what that looked like. So he's saying, Peter, in your sin, as well as me no longer being in the present like I am now in the flesh, don't let your hearts be troubled. I want to encourage you, he says, basically. Be encouraged. May your souls be strengthened. And then what's his next words? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because Jesus is God. In the midst of Peter's sin and denial of Christ, Jesus offers this encouragement. I'm not loving you, Peter, because you're perfect. I'm loving you because I choose to. This is good news for us. Believe in God. Believe also in me. If you've been around, this is week 44, I believe, week 44 in our series in John Man, it's like Jesus is hacking away at a tree and just saying, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. John 6, uh, Pharisees come to him and say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? He says, this is the work of God. Believe in me. Believe in the one whom he has sent. If you want to work, work at that. No, what are we supposed to be doing? Like, do we, believe, believe me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse two, as he continues to try to encourage his men, in my father's house, all right, I'm leaving, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, doesn't it make sense that I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also? And you you know the way. ...to where I'm going. This is encouraging. Christians will be with Jesus forever. As I studied in Revelation 5, Revelation 21, and Revelation 7 of what it was like to be in the very presence of God around his throne, we learn there, in the place that he's preparing for us, we learn there that heaven is a place where Jesus will shelter us with his presence. That is such safety. That is such refuge. That is what our soul longs for. You know that safe place that our heart just wants to be protected and kept safe? That's what we're ultimately longing for, is to experience that close protection of Jesus in his presence. This is heaven. Heaven is where we shall hunger no more or thirst anymore. Hunger is where the sun shall not strike us nor any scorching heat. Heaven is where Jesus will be our shepherd. Heaven is where Jesus will guide us to springs, not just of water, but of living water, eternal life, eternal water where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes, no more crying, no more suffering. Heaven is where God will dwell with his people and we will see the very face of God. Heaven is the place where there will be no more death, there'll be no more mourning, there'll be no more pain. All the previous things have been passed away and God says in Revelation 5, behold, I'm making all things new. This is what we have to look forward to. This is what Christ is preparing for us even now. And Christian, you've got a room waiting for you. You've got a place in heaven. That's the big idea. With the Father. Because of what Christ has done. He's preparing for us an eternal home to be with him in a very real place. If our existence now, here's the way I love to explain heaven in the simplest of terms. If this is real, if our existence right now is real, you know, flesh, air, people, things, touch, thirst, eat, right? If this is real, heaven is very real. I like to talk of heaven uh, as in comparison to this existence being the fakest, cloudiest, phoniest existence that you and I will ever experience. Does that make sense? So like... Heaven is just super clear. It's super perfect. It's everything this is except perfect and and some. So, this is fake compared to how perfect and real heaven will be. And Jesus will accomplish the needed task to make provision for us in heaven. He was encouraging his disciples with this. May this encourage us. He also sets up Thomas. Thomas is a very uh, realistic disciple. Even after, and we're going to learn this later in John, when Jesus died on the cross and beat death, he comes back from the grave and Thomas hears about it. And he says, I'm not going to believe until I actually see the wounds and put my hand in his wounds. I'm just not going to buy into this. I have to see it first. That's why I call him doubting Thomas, right? I think he's smart. Because he knew if he was going to bank his whole life on this fact, he wants to see it. Here you have Thomas, as God says, and you know the way. Pre- I have, you know, I'm going to prepare my way for the Father. I'm going to be there. I'm going to bring you back again. And you know the way there. Thomas is like, hold up a second. Did I miss out on some teaching? Did I miss out on, on, on what you mean here? Because Thomas then asked in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? That was just Jesus just t-balling this. He was just setting this up to flex, just to make himself famous. You ready for this? John 14, 6, and we're stopping here today. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father, speaking of God, except through me, because Jesus is God, Jesus is the way because Jesus is God. Jesus is the truth because he is the God. Jesus is the life because he is the God. And Jesus has made a way when there was no other way. We just got finished singing this truth. Jesus made a way when there was no other way. I want you to hang out there with me this morning, okay? I want you to spend some time with me as we unpack what that means. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there's many rooms, and I will come again and get you and take you up to my Father where you will have a place in paradise with me. I've made the way. Are you ready to discover this way? Say okay. Really? (laughs) Are you ready? Say okay. okay. All right, let's do this. Consider first some truth of the good news of Jesus Christ and our need for him. Consider a passage of scripture of what it's like to live outside of Christ, not connected to the life, not connected to the truth, not connected to the way. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time, speaking of before Christ, before Christ saved you, you were at that time alienated are separated from Christ. That's a big deal. He's going to unpack what that looks like. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, the people of Israel, God's chosen people. You were aliens to God's chosen people and strangers to the covenants of promise. Covenants were established in order for man to be able to relate back to God again. And you were even strangers to the possibility of being connected back to God again. You were alienated, separated Removed from strangers to the covenants of promise, and then perhaps our situation explained in its very worst terms outside of Christ, having no what? Hope. having no what? Hope. having no hope. Does that mean there's some hope? there's no hope and without God in the world. If you're new to the conversation, that's a desperate place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. Lived out in its perfect form, in its most ultimate form, this defines the very essence of hell, where you experience existence outside of the presence of God. God having no hope without God. Unpack a little bit further here, a little bit earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead. You were what? Dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who's that talking about? Satan. Satan. We were dead, and if there was anything in us that moved as a dead man, we were following Satan. That is what it means to unpack no hope without God in the world. And this is how we, this is how we all are. This is how we all were outside of Christ. If you don't start here, grace is not amazing, and life in Christ is not a big deal. But if you start out dead, hopeless, without God, strangers, alienated, grace is special. And God's action on our behalf is something to be celebrated. But if you start out that you're good enough, we'll get there, okay. All right. Is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we, who? We all. Does that mean some? Some. Did it say some or did it say all? It said all, right? Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. The flesh is always antithetical to the spirit, just to let you know that. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, it was in our DNA, to be children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's our situation. Outside of Christ, This defines everyone. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead. Dead. Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with who? With Christ. Christ. This passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is one sentence in the Greek, which is the original language that this was written. The subject is God. The verb is made alive. Because of God's great mercy and his love for us, God made us alive together with Christ. We were dead. Now we are alive through Christ because of Christ. This is why we make much of Jesus. Because it doesn't say because of our good works, because we went to church a lot, because we handed out bottles of water, dug wells, and bought toms. It doesn't say this. It says because of Christ, through Christ. Those things are good, but it's not going to save you. That's my point. He has made us alive together with Christ by grace. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. I would encourage you, anytime you see in Christ or with Christ or in him or with him, circle in your Bible. That union with Christ is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful union. And it's what is so necessary for you to have hope of heaven. For you to have hope of your sins being forgiven. Is when you're in Christ, with Christ, in him, with him. He, we were made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, and the, the sense you get here in the original language is the age upon age upon age upon eon upon eon, it's like the waves of of the ocean just keeps coming. That's the word picture that's provided here with us, that in the coming ages and ages and ages and ages, God might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the wonderful news of our salvation. We had no way. Jesus made a way. God made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. So much so that Jesus could stand there and not be a liar and say, I am the truth. If he's lying, dismiss him. Walk away fast. He stands there and tells the truth I am the truth. I am the way. I I am through what I do with me. I make a way. Remember, we're dead. We're hopeless and we're helpless. And all our efforts are totally, completely, 100% insufficient. And there is a vast separation between us and God because of our sin. Because our sin is ultimately against him. There is no hope of, of, of us ever breaching that. Of us ever crossing this divide that separates us from a perfect, meaningful, Relationship with God, which is what we long for. There's nothing we can do. All our efforts at restoring and reconciling our friendship and relationship with God always, every time, will fail. It's not through our efforts. It's through grace. This past spring, my family and I, we, uh, we went to Rock Island uh, State Park southeast from here. And we went hiking through some of the hills of the state park, and we saw some waterfalls. We crossed a lot of water. And at times, I had on, like, some old tennis shoes. So I would just walk through the stuff, like, because I don't like feeling that stuff on my feet. I'd rather have shoes on. All right? And so my family were coming through with their good shoes on, and I would try to provide for them a dry rock that they could get traction on. Because, you know, rock that's always under the water gets slippery, right, with algae? Say, I got you. I got you. Okay. All right. So I would provide for them dry stones that were just above the water and provide them a dry path across the water. And they would go through without getting wet. And I would hold their hand as they crossed. And we would do this. It's kind of like I was their shepherd or their guide helping my little family. Not little. We have four kids. Helping my large family across this uh, body of water, this little waterfall there. Well, let's say that you and I wanted to take a trip to Togo, East Africa, all right? Let's say we were going to leave from the Alabama shores. We get to the shores of Alabama, and we see these waves just coming in off the Gulf, and we know that to get to Togo, East Africa, on our own efforts, we would have to go down through the Gulf around Florida, and then arrive at Togo, East Africa, We've got great plans. We've got awesome dreams of being there and hanging out. Good times. But we have to get there. So as we're talking through how we're going to do this, is there a helicopter, a plane, a boat, like how can we rig up something? I'm like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. And I flash back. Rock Island. I've I've crossed water with my rocks before. Okay. All right, so I go and I get four or five large stones and I put them in a wheelbarrow and I come up to the shore. I'm like, I got it. And you're like, Uh, What? All right? I'm like, no, no, trust me. me." And I get out this big rock, as big as I can carry, okay? And I walk out. I wade out into the water. The waves are hitting me. And as soon as there's a break in the waves, I just chunk as far as I can. And a big spray comes off the top where the big rock dropped in. You're thinking, man, this guy's crazy. I walk back to my wheelbarrow. You're like, what? I got it, bro. Trust me. All right? I get the second one. I walk out there. Same thing. And I throw it as hard and as far as I can. Big spray. I do this to the third rock, the fourth rock in my last one. And I'm like, I come up to you, I'm like, all right, let's go to East Africa. That's not going to happen. You, you've lost something, right? The illustration is even absurd to even consider. It's almost insulting your intelligence that I would even tell such an illustration. But your odds of getting to Togo, East Africa on my five rocks that I threw into the Gulf of Mexico is so much greater than your good works getting you into heaven. There is a divide that is massive. There is no way to make that relationship one again where there's peace between you and God, where the wrath that's towards your sin has been taken care of except for Jesus Christ there is no other way. Your your attempts at good works, thinking that your things that you do, the people you hang out with, the stuff you don't listen to or don't watch, or stuff that you do watch or do listen to, or how fast you drive or don't drive, or, or what foods you choose not to eat as an exercise of holiness personally, no matter how many good works you do, no matter how many bad things you stay away from, and you thinking that's getting you to heaven is like taking a rock and throwing it into the Gulf of Mexico, thinking that you're gonna build a bridge to East Africa. It's absurd. This is why we celebrate Jesus Christ. He made a way when there was absolutely, totally no hope without God, nothing. Amen. At best, we're strangers and aliens, we're incapable. Do you expect a dead man to do much? You ever go to a funeral and looked into the casket and said, Man, he's not smiling at me. What's going on? He's not even sitting up. He's still asleep. One, that'd be insulting. Okay, that'd be, that'd be uh, very disrespectful. Two, you're crazy in the head if you think a dead person can do anything, they have no life. Just as God went to Adam and formed him out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his lungs and said, exist, and he created man, that's what he has to do in us. He takes a dead man, stops his funeral, breathes life into his lungs and said, now live. Without that happening, we're still dead. This is why we celebrate grace. This is why we celebrate the faith that is the gift of God. Because it's the only way of us having life and living for Jesus Christ and having peace with his Father. Amen? All right, so there is no way to get from where we are into relationship with Jesus Christ outside of himself. And God knows this. Be encouraged out of Luke chapter 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night This isn't just for Christmas, by the way. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I can imagine. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, look, listen, I bring you good news. Not just good news, my friends. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you, where are we at? I just kind of went my brain here. Uh, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day. Here's the reason for good news of great joy and celebration. Throw a party. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior. A savior, because we were desperate and needed a savior. We were lost. We needed someone to save us. So God sends a savior to save us. If we could save ourselves, chunk rocks into the ocean, he would not need to send Jesus Christ, his son. He would say, rely on your good works to be a savior and repair the damage. That's due because of your sin. No, he says, I'm going to send to you my son in human form to live and die and beat death for you to make a way where there was no other way so that I receive the glory and you receive the joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I love it how it impacts it. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Why? Because he made a way. He made a way. He's receiving the glory for making the way. Because apart from him, there was no other way. So glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. Peace. Oh, we needed that. That's what we're longing for. There was, and if you read later in Ephesians 2, there was hostility. But Christ, through his cross, he has killed and destroyed the hostility and he has provided peace. Peace. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. He has made a way when there was no other way. For God so, what? Loved. Loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die. Should not be eternally separated from God, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, he being the way. This is good news. This is why we celebrate Jesus. Are you with me? Say, "Uh Uh uh-huh. Okay, this is good news. We see that in Christ's life, that he lived it perfectly for us as our representative, Remember in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it said we were by nature children of wrath. We inherit that nature from our first representative, who is Adam, our first dad in the garden. When he sins, he was representing us. We have to have to have someone take our place in that type of thing. Jesus Christ comes and becomes our representative, living a perfect life in order to forgive and cancel out our sin that we had inherited by birth and that we had participated in by our own choice. So Jesus comes in. Here's how he makes the way. He comes into our world. He does not stand afar off. He comes into our world, lives perfectly, nails it. Never since, not one evil thought, nothing. Perfect love, amazing. Never messed up one time. So that your messed up life, my jacked up life, is now forgiven because he lived it perfectly. So Jesus Christ lived as our representative and he died as our substitute. Our, our sin required punishment. So God sent his son not just to live perfectly to cancel out our sin, but there's still wrath to the sin that we did commit. And so he bore the very wrath that was due our sin on the cross. The Bible calls this a very important term, propitiation, where he took all the weight and punishment of God's wrath on his own shoulders. To where? To such an extent that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. No more shame, no more guilt, no more regret, no more remorse. Perfect slate. And this is true. This is why in heaven there's no tears, there's no suffering. Jesus Christ bore all that that is due because of our sin. This is why we celebrate him. Because he was man enough to take responsibility for our jacked up life and live perfectly, and he died the death that we deserve, and he was man enough to beat death. So that now as long as we're in him and with him, in Christ and with Christ, we've been made justified because of his actions for us. And this justification is a big Bible word, learn it. It basically means this, just as if you've never sinned and just as if you've always obeyed. It's as if you live perfectly. So now when God looks at you, someone who is in Christ, we call them Christians, okay? Someone who is in Christ, a Christ follower, there's nothing you can do to disappoint God. That's liberating. That's empowering. Jesus Christ earned it for you. If God had teeth and a smile and a face, like I can imagine anyway, he would never be able to take the dimples off his face from grinning ear to ear over who you are if you're in Christ. Because he looks at you just like he did his son in John 1. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You see that same terminology even in Luke uh, 2, 14 there that we just read. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because he's perfect. And if you're in Christ, you've been made perfect. This is the good news of the gospel because there's only one There's only one stipulation for you to be able to make it in heaven. You've got to be perfect. You're made that way through Christ. Here's my prayer for you today, and I'm finished. Let's go ahead and pray. I love you guys. Father, would you help us all see you as you are in heaven now, high and lifted up, at the center of attention, receiving unceasing worship. This is where our contentment and our peace are found, in knowing you and focusing on you. God, may we have excellent peripheral vision in our life to see other things, but would you be our single focus? Would you work in our hearts and our lives and minds in such a way that we are pure in heart? where you are the single above all passion of our lives? Would you work in our hearts in such a way that we say together with Paul, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain? Would we say as Paul in Philippians that I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord For his sake I had suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Jesus Christ. May God grant us the heart of David in the Psalms where he says there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, would you teach us to seek you first, to see you high and lifted up in all arenas of our own lives, not just in church life, not just in community group life, but in all of our life. God, would you make us pure in heart, single-focused, you being our single obsession, our one holy passion. Father, help us get rid of the sacred-secular dichotomy Where there's arenas for you and there's arenas for us. Would we as Christians see that all our life is sacred? There's not a place in our soul that's off limits to you. Father, would you lead us to repentance today of the areas that we have in our lives where we have placed this no trespassing tape around it, not allowing you to come in. Would you come through and tenderly, graciously cut that tape and say, I love you even here. I love you in this place. God, would you do this? Thank you, Jesus Christ, for doing what it took to repair our relationship with your Father so that you have a room for us. Thank you for making the way when there was literally no chance. Thank you, Father, for making it a sure thing that we can live with you forever. In Jesus Christ's name, I ask these things. Amen.